Good to be with you this morning. My name is Chuck Melton. That's uh, Melton, not Mellon, not Nelson, not Milton. After 75 years, I've gotten used to that name, so I don't mind it anymore. My church family in Sealands Grove got used to it. It took them 35 years to get used to it, but they got used to it. And uh, glad to be with you today. And I want to uh, talk to you about one of my favorite subjects, hopefully one of yours, and that is heaven. I uh, retired five years ago, and I still get to do some preaching. Frankly, um, most of the preaching I get to do anymore tends to be at funeral services. And during those funeral services, the folks that come, family and friends, want to hear something about heaven. And, uh, and as a rule, they, they want to have something positive said about their dearly departed and uh, that that might be their eventual destination. And in uh, 50 years, I have literally had, on four specific occasions, a man come up to me before the service would start to shake my hand and introduce himself to me, and I would feel something a little odd in my palm, and I would look, and lo and behold, there would be a couple of large denomination bills and the message that they would give me is to uh, put in a good word to the man upstairs for the sake of my dearly departed loved one. And I would always return that money to them and give them the message that uh, you don't have near as, nearly enough money, and I don't have that kind of influence, and, uh, and I will not hold out uh, false hope to anybody. I won't do that this morning. There's a whole genre of uh, minister's humor uh, that uh, goes this way. When I got to heaven, thus and such happened. Well, it happened one day that there was a couple of fellows that showed up simultaneously at the pearly gates. And they were told the first item on the agenda is they were to be shown what their eternal accommodations were going to be. Well, one fellow was uh, an old Nazarene minister, and the other one was an old taxi driver. So they, they went and took the taxi driver to a mansion on a hilltop. They went and took the, the pastor to a little cottage in the valley below. And the pastor objected. He said, after 50 years of pastoring, this is what I get. And the angel said, well, it's, like, it's this way, pastor. When you preached, people slept. When he drove, people prayed. So if you'll stay alert for the next uh, several minutes, uh, I'm, my, my hope is that uh, you'll be able to gain something uh, heavenly uh, by way of the Word of God and how God might speak to you through uh, His servant this morning. I want to read to you from John's Gospel, chapter 14, very familiar words of Jesus on the night before He was betrayed. And He said to His disciples, beginning at verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas, speaking for his equally clueless disciple brothers, said, Lord, We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? 
Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. It was C.S. Lewis who once said, I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Well, the Bible goes to great lengths to describe to us all of the horrors and tragedy of hell. It also goes to great lengths to explain to us uh, in what ways we can accept and what ways can be expressed in human language and, and figures of speech, all of the glories of heaven. The Bible is also very explicit about who's going to get there and who is not. And since you're here this morning, I, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, that 100% of you are going to be getting there and not a one of you is going to be left out. But I want to communicate you, to you about uh, seven truths that I know to be, uh, to be reliable about what heaven is going to be. And uh, about 50 years ago, I came across an alliterative outline on the subject of heaven that was written by a holiness minister by the name of L.B. Hicks. And uh, it's not an exhaustive list of all of the things that could be said about heaven, but... Uh, these are seven very important things, I think, that are very true about heaven, and you can expect when you get there. And it starts like this. Heaven, friends, when we get there, is going to be ready. It will be ready. It will be ready for your residence. It will be ready for your staying. You will never have to leave. It will be home. In my lifetime, I have moved 17 times. Since we came to Sealands Grove 40 years ago, only moved twice. Not jokingly, I every now and then say to folks, I hope that my next move is vertical. I don't like moving, but my next move, if it's going to be heavenward, I'm entirely cool with it. And I'm going to leave everything behind because everything that I'll be needing for all eternity will be there before me. There will be, when we get there, no signs that are going to indicate certain parts are under construction. There will be no parts of heaven that are going to need any kind of expansion. There's not going to be any need of maintenance and repairs. There's not going to be scaffolding on the walls. There's not going to be any masonry and, and carpentry that still needs to be done. It's already finished. And our God, who is able to make things not by building them, but by creating them, says to us through his Son that he goes before us and he is going to prepare a place for us so that where he is, we might be also and for all eternity. And when you get there, you're going to be welcome. You're going to be accepted. You're going to be one of the family. Your heavenly Father is going to be there. All of your holy brethren is going to be there as well. And the, all of the angels and whoever else that God has in mind to be there is going to be a part of that eternal company. And they will be ready for our arrival. Secondly, heaven is going to be resplendent. I don't know about you, but you, you're probably somewhat like me and that you've been to enough places in the world that you say to yourself, that's a beautiful spot. 
Maybe you live in a beautiful spot. I've been to some places that I, I regard as being just wonders of nature, and you can see the handiwork of God, and, and what God makes is not only good, but it tends to be absolutely beautiful. Even what happens in the changes of seasons. We've just gotten through not too long ago with all the flowering beauty of springtime. We're in the midst of, of all the lush greenery and, and fruitfulness of summertime. And we also have, and we're thinking one of these days it's going to cool off enough and there's going to be fresh fall and snow and the sunshine is going to shine upon it and it will be brilliantly beautiful. But for my taste, I, I prefer the fall. And I think it's been that way for me since I pastored northern Vermont back in the mid-70s. And there's nothing like northern New England in the early fall. Uh, it goes like this. It's because there is such a great backdrop of evergreens in the forest there. And then there are the hard frosts that they tend to get early on in the fall that sharpens the hues and all of the yellows and the golds and all of the greens and the reds and the purples all mixed together. And if there is a more beautiful spot on the planet than northern New England in the early fall, I don't know where it is. I haven't seen it yet. But I think God wants to tell us, you ain't seen nothing yet. You are going to be heading to a place that is absolutely resplendent. It is going to be so beautiful that uh, the, the Bible has a hard time putting into human language for the sake of what human minds can embrace and understand all the beauty that is there. And I know it talks about streets of gold, and I think that's cool. And it talks about the jasper walls. I kind of wonder what that's going to be like. It has the pearly gates. It has all of the gemstones that are going to be a part of the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And, I, and I'm excited about that. But there is going to be the beauty of God's presence and all of the company that's going to be there that's going to make it resplendent. And the Bible goes one further. It says that it's going to be like a bride adorned for her husband. Now, I have conducted hundreds of weddings over the years of my pastoral ministry and since I've retired. And you know what? Every single one of those brides have been beautiful. I know I'm prejudiced, but I think they've all been beautiful. And I know this, that as beautiful as those ladies might have appeared to me, you know that fellow who is waiting for her to come down the aisle, looking through his eyes, he sees her having a beauty beyond what any of the rest of us can see. And that's what the Bible is trying to get across to us. This is going to be the beauty of heaven. Heaven is going to be resplendent. Now, there might be some of you folks, and when you get home, you might want to take out your wedding albums, look over the pictures again, and get reminded and give, an, give you an idea of what the beauty of heaven is going to be. And heaven, friends is going to be rapture. It's going to be the deepest joy of a divinely blessed spirit. It will be a life, a life eternal in which you'll have rest from your trials and temptations and tests, troubles, tragedies, and torments. You will live in complete security from anything that might threaten. You'll have absolutely in the rearview mirror of your existence 
everything that caused suffering and sorrow. Disease will be gone. Aging will be over. There will be no handicaps. There will be no loneliness. There will be no more death. And thank the Lord, there's going to be no more arthritis. That blesses some of you folks more than others. It will be rapture. There will be the rejoicing of the saints and the angels together, making a joyful noise to sometimes the best that some of us can do on the earth, on the, in this world. And that's what the Bible says we ought to do, making joyful noise unto the Lord. Some of us can make a more pleasing joyful noise to our neighbors than others, but we're to make a joyful noise unto the Lord with adoration and thanksgiving and praise. And when we get to the other side, all of you folks that think you don't have much to offer when it comes to a musical voice, you're going to find your voices to be absolutely cured. And when I get to heaven, one of the things I'm looking forward to is I'm not going to get hoarse anymore when I do it. For the, better than the last 20 years, I've, I've, I've been a, a member of a, a vocal ensemble, either a quartet or a trio, and, and now because one of our members, our bass, went to heaven, now it's just myself and our high tenor, and, and we try to make a joyful noise together, and when we get called upon to do a mini concert, well, that means about five songs, and we're done. But folks, when I get to heaven, I'm going to be able to sing at my loudest, and I'm going to be doing it pitch perfect, and I will be in rhythm and on tune, and, and I think there will be some other folks who will want to join in with me. Heaven will be absolutely rapture. And heaven will be reward. Heaven will be reward. All those who in this life suffered more than their fair share of illnesses, all of those that endured all sorts of injuries and had to live with handicaps and were victims of crime and injustice and cruelty, those that lived lives that, that meant they had to do very difficult and exhausting work, all of those that had to live a life in poverty, and like Job, experienced far more than they ever should have of grief. Would know a healing and a wholeness that would be given to them and there would be restoration. Dishonesty will have no occasion. Envy will have no cause. Wrongs will be righted and talent and intellect will be equalized. No one will have reason to call anyone ugly. We are going to be given glorified bodies. I don't know all of what that means, but I got an idea that uh, when Jesus said that uh, we are going to be as he is, that, that that's, that's, going to be, that's going to be pleasant to behold. So when we get to the other side, it is going to be reward, and it's going to be the beauty in which we will share as children of the king. All short lives will be compensated all those who had to experience poverty in this world will know the riches of his glory. All of those who suffered with handicaps will know no boundaries. 
All suffering will be forgotten in the healing of a glorified body. And when we get to the other side and all the rewards that will be included there, there will be no cliques, there will be no arrogance, there will be no jealousy, distrust, there will be no prejudice, there will be no social stratification, there will be no stereotypes, and there will be no stigma. And this may come as a surprise to you, there will be no denominations. As grateful and glad as I am to be a part of the network of Nazarenes, there are going to be no denominations when we get there. There are going to be no doctrinal disagreements. There's going to be no more theological confusion. There's going to be no more church politics. If there were more pastors here, they'd probably give me a big amen at that point. We are going to be all a part of the one true church triumphant hallelujah and heaven friends will be real heaven is going to be uh, absolutely real the greatest reality that we'll ever know beyond all the illusions and the near illusions and the disappointments of this world heaven is going to be real heaven is somewhere in God's creation and it is of God's creation. Don't bother looking at any geographical atlas. Don't look at any astronomical chart. Don't consult your GPS to get you there. Jesus says, I'm going before you, and I'm preparing a place for you, and where I am, there you may be, and he's going to get us there. And heaven will be real. And when we get there, there's going to be no mindless flitting around on clouds. There's going to be no just simple strumming of harps, although I think I'd like to learn how to play the harp too. There's, there's going to be no wearing of white nightgowns. And I honestly think that we're not going to have wings. I don't know about you. I'm not wild about feathers that aren't on birds at least. And I don't think we're going to be occupying our time by keeping our halos polished either. We're not going to be a bunch of ghostly apparitions flitting about in heaven's territory. We are going to experience a reality greater than anything that we have experienced during our existence here in this current lifetime. And we will have joyous, purposeful, fulfilling activity and fellowship and holy community forever. You ever think about that? The book of Hebrews describes heaven as being rest. And a lot of times in, in, in funeral services, we'll say that thus and so is gone to their, their rest. Well, I don't know about you. I'm thinking that when I get my glorified body, I'm probably never going to need a nap again. And I'm never going to be ever bored. I'm not bored now about anything. I can remember when I was a kid growing up, I, I used to make the mistake of saying to my parents, and you think I would have learned before I did, say, Mom and Dad, I'm bored. Well, that was their signal to give me some work to do. If you're going to be bored, at least you're going to be constructively bored. Well, folks, we are going to be given all sorts of opportunity to say nothing of all eternity 
to develop whatever skills that we have and new ones that we might be interested in acquiring. And God is going to have in mind for us fulfilling service for his kingdom, even when we get to the other side. And we, in doing that, we probably won't even work up a sweat. Heaven, folks, is real. And heaven will be reunion. Heaven will be reunion. Having reached the age of 75, I've had to say my earthly farewells to a lot of very dear people to me. And the older that I get, the more invested I am in the kingdom to come than I am in the kingdoms of this world. And it's very, very important to me that heaven is going to be reunion. I'm looking forward to it. There are some of you that are from around my generation. You can remember that there used to be a program on TV in the 50s. It was called This Is Your Life. You remember? Wave a hand if you remember This Is Your Life. Thank you. And what would happen in a half-hour time is uh, in part of the half-hour, there would be some celebrity. This is your life, Bob Hope. The other half would be devoted to some ordinary person just like you and me. This is your life, Chuck Melton. And then off stage, you would hear these voices of friends and family of bygone eras of our life. Hey, Chuck, remember when we used to do this and we got in trouble doing that, blah, blah, blah. Oh, really? It's, is that him? And there would be these delightful reunions that we could get, and they would inspire laughter, and they would inspire tears, and sometimes they would inspire tears of joy. And I was a sucker for it every time it came on. I never missed it. I I enjoy reunions. I I enjoy family reunions. I, I enjoy school reunions amongst my alumni. At my high school reunion, they they always put together some book, a little booklet that has the names of all the people that are graduated and, and, and what we know about them, at least what people would reveal about themselves and, and, and how many kids they have, if they're married, if they have grandkids, blah, 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 what their, what, their, uh, what, what their vocation happens to be, what their address is, what their phone number is, what their email is, if you want to contact them. But there was always at the end of the book this list of in memoriam. And it was always kind of sobering because I know that one of these days I'm going to be on that list. And some folks will say, wow, what happened to Chuck? How long has he been gone? I was hoping to see him here this time around. Well, that's not the kind of reunion heaven's going to be. Whenever you think about some loved one of yours, whether a friend or family, And you say, you know, I haven't seen him for a little while. I'd like to get to see him again and and socialize for a little while in our heavenly circumstances. And we won't be separated by time and distance. We won't be prevented by occasions that we wait for. We'll be able to say, hey, but where's, where's the lady that was my life's partner, my wife? Where's she hanging around about now? We're not tied at the, we're not joined at the hip anymore since we got to heaven, but I'd, I'd, I'd like to see how things are going for Karen, how she's enjoying heaven, and, and have, have some sweet communion again. Well, that's the nature of reunion, folks, when we get to heaven, and heaven is going to be reunion. 
But until I get there and I join with them, in the meantime, I have comfort and peace and hope that while they're separated from me, that they are enjoying uninhibited, unthreatened, and constant communion with God and the angels and all the saints that have already gone before us. Well, folks, that's six things that heaven is going to be. Here's the seventh. Heaven is going to be right. There will be no one missing that belongs there by the grace of God. There will be no one present who doesn't belong there because they rejected grace during their life in this world. There will be no rebellious, arrogant, impenitent, unholy, unclean personality, influence, and object in all of heaven. It will know the holiness of God. It will be its rule, its character. It will be the very atmosphere of the kingdom. Heaven will be right. Time to decide on your eternal destiny is in the here and now. God's already decided for you, you know that, at least to this extent. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He has in mind for you to join in that great celebration known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. There is a place that is meant for you. One of the things that I am absolutely certain of, I haven't been there yet, but I'm absolutely positive that when we get to heaven, there's going to be no crowding issues. I also got a hunch that there's going to be no waiting in lines either. But heaven will be right. But the time to decide is now. Because the condition of your spirit with which you leave this world or at which time Jesus returns to this world is going to be the state in which you are judged or not be judged because of the grace of God. Ladies and gentlemen, you can gain the whole world and lose your own soul. What would it profit you? I've... uh, known a good number of people that have uh, some optimism about getting safely to heaven that it depends upon good deeds. Well, our good deeds aren't going to do anything for us. We are saved to good works. We're not saved by them. We are saved because of the work of Jesus Christ. We're not saved because we have cultivated a good character that others in this world might admire. It will be because of Christ in us and his influence upon us. It will not be because of any generous or even sacrificial gifts that we have offered, but because of what he gave upon the cross for our sakes. It will not be because of any social connections. It won't be because of the good family that you're a part of or the organizations in this world that you're a part of. It'll be because it'll be because of the connection that Jesus has with the Heavenly Father 
as the only begotten Son who came to this world to be our Savior. We are not saved because of any pain that we suffer, even if we think that we are suffering pains for the sake of, of goodness and good causes. But we are, suffered because, we, we are saved because of what Jesus suffered in his passion for our sake. I um, have for, I think, all of the 50 years that I've been preaching the gospel, I've declared that the, the, the way to heaven, the way to being, becoming a child of God is ever so simple that, that little children can understand it. It is ever so rich and deep and complex that the most intellectual and wise and spiritual can never plumb all of its depths. But it goes like this. In Ephesians chapter 2, we are told it is by grace through faith that we are saved. By grace, that is God's response. Pardon me, that is God's ability and only His. Faith, that is my responsibility and only mine. And faith is is a simple concept, but we dare not oversimplify it. Some folks get the idea all we need to do is believe in a certain set of truths, and we've got it made. Being saved by grace through faith, faith has three components to it. And it includes this. We believe in the truth of God. We believe in our sinfulness. We believe in our lostness. We believe in the plan of salvation as realized and as perfected in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We believe in those truths. We believe in the, in the truths that are declared by the Bible and are affirmed by the Holy Spirit. We believe. Secondly, we repent. Not only being able to point back to one time when we very tearfully and remorsefully and shamefully brought ourselves and our sins before God for cleansing and salvation. It's not more than just a one-time, once-and-done matter of repentance, but it is committing yourself to a repentant life. So when sins enter in, when flaws are realized, and faults are uncovered, we bring them before God for cleansing and wholeness. And finally, it's trusting in the wisdom, power, and love in God so that I submit to his lordship for the shaping and the direction of my life. Is that where you are? If that's where you are, if that's where you live, then you can have complete confidence that either in your departure from this world or Jesus' arrival into this world, you can say, Lord, I'm ready. Lord, I'm ready. Would you stand with me, please? I um, believe that not a single one of us should even think 
of leaving this sanctuary in the sacred presence of God who happens to be with us in company this morning that you would want to leave without knowing for sure that heaven is your destination. You can come and pray around these altars if you choose to. A lot of us have, a lot of us will, and you can this morning. Debbie. I found no earthly possession, position, or pleasure that can match the joy, the peace, the hope, and fulfillment that I have found in living for Jesus in the here and now. And there is truly nothing in this life so worth having that I would trade or risk my eternal destiny in heaven for it. This is what God created us for. Have you, will you accept the love and faith relationship and reward that he offers? Well, Lord God, thank you for the ministry of this congregation, its heritage, and all that you have done to use this faith community to bless the communities round about it and the churches including mine over the space of all of the years of its life and we pray for its present and for its future and for its pastor for healing that he needs and the support that we want to provide for him I pray Lord for its leadership Pray, Lord God, for each and every one of us who have a role as children of the Heavenly Father to advance your kingdom and to show the love and truth of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen. God bless you and keep you.